Welcome back to the F1 School Student Life podcast. I'm your host, Panya Trihan. I'm a VC student, blogger, and podcaster, and my personal aim is to provide F1 School students with the resources and knowledge to reach their full potential. Not just as students, but as a team too. And hopefully pass on that same knowledge to the next generation of F1 School students. This podcast episode is about why you should why you will never have enough time in the F1 Schools program, and why habits slash systems based around actively planning into the future for an excessive amount of time, which is around one one week or more, will not help at all. For example, using Gantt charts. If you would like to check out more of my content, you can check it out on my Instagram, my my YouTube channel, or my website. You can also get in touch with me directly if you need specific feedback. You can do this through Instagram or messages. I really, really hope you find this podcast helpful. Welcome back. So... We often like to tell ourselves that if we actively plan for the future and into the future, we will actually be saving time. However, the large majority of planning that F1 schools teams undertake in the program is not only ineffective, but it's also an active waste of time. The only positive side that I can really see is that it's something nice to display in your portfolio, which... Although it looks nice, it really shouldn't be something you as a team are prioritizing. Remember, as a team, you're trying to be honest through your portfolio. You're trying to show what you actually did and not trying to just use some uh, cool Gantt charts or cool programs, for example, in Excel, just to seem like you manage your time in a highly uh, specific manner. So... There's several fatal flaws of using platforms and softwares or time management tools such as Gantt charts. For example, planning into the future is actually an active waste of our time. Every minute you spend planning into the future, you're actually wasting time. But there is an but there is an exception. There is an exception. When you plan, for example, for the next day, or when you create a detailed to-do list, that can actually be really helpful. And understanding the difference between when we're just planning into the future as a form of procrastination, and when we're actually planning into the future to save time, is a big difference that you need to understand as a team manager or a team member. So sometimes F1 schools teams plan into the future, but then don't follow their plan. So what was their point? And why did you spend hours upon hours planning into the future? Now, the lesson from this isn't that you follow your plan. Yes, that would be great, but there was probably something wrong with your plan if you couldn't follow it. The problem is that When you try and plan into the future, you realize very quickly that you cannot predict the future. Therefore, your plan will not be accurate. And every time 
one task gets delayed, many other tasks get delayed too. Meaning, if you plan for one month and you made a list of things to do each day, every time one task gets delayed, all the other tasks get set back too. And something that you plan for one month to happen in might now take two months. So if you don't want mountains of deadlines piling on top of each other, it's wise not to use something like Gantt Sometimes, however, teachers, specifically mentors in the F1 schools program, tell students to have loose deadlines. Now, you might be asking, what's the problem with this? Well, the problem is, when you set a loose dead time, you're not actually working your best. You're not reaching your full potential. If you were, you would probably set out an hour or maybe two hours a day to work on F1 in schools. And you would get the maximum amount of work done. Using a to-do list can be incredibly helpful, but sometimes tasks can be completed early. And because you told yourself that you weren't going to do any more work, you're actually wasting time. So another thing to branch off of on the second floor is that when deadlines pile up on each other, we actually end up producing low quality work. This is because in our minds, we think that we're behind because our arbitrary and made up deadlines have piled up on each other and we get stressed out. And inevitably we all do. So we produce low quality work. And now planning is the future. Something that was meant to increase the quality of a work is actually making our quality, the quality of a work significantly worse. Now, what happens is that we start producing low quality work and we don't reach our full potential. We, be less, we become less creative, less innovative, and we don't spend nearly as much time researching. What does this mean? Well, this means that we're producing work that any other average F1 school student could produce, meaning that our work doesn't have a whole lot of originality. So the fourth flaw is that when we plan into the future, we often, if not all of the time, fail to take into consideration things like setbacks, failures, and in general, all the other things that can go long, go wrong. This is, in essence, Murphy's Law. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong, which is basically what Murphy's Law means. So when we're planning to the future, just like I said in the second floor, we can't, we can't actually predict the future, which means that we don't account for things such as setbacks, failures, or anything else that can go wrong. Now, the thing is, when we plan maybe one or possibly two days into the future, we can update our form of planning every single day. But if we've planned out one month, maybe a week, maybe two months, three months, four months, or maybe even six months to the competition, every single setback that we face changes our whole plan completely, which means we're spending even more time planning and less time actually completing high quality work. So another thing that we fail to do when we plan to the future is that we think our future self is going to be some magical version of ourselves and it's going to have something like superpowers, meaning that our future self doesn't have to take breaks, our future self 
doesn't have to be a human being and a future self doesn't have to spend enough time um, perhaps sleeping or eating breakfast or completing all the small things that seem insignificant in relation to the F1 schools program, but can really impact our ability to focus and manage our stress. So what you need to do is when you plan into the future, and if you decide to do that, for example, maybe for a day or two days or possibly three days, give yourself enough time for breaks. Now, this really depends on how vigorously you plan into the future. Do you plan every single hour of your day or is it just like a couple of um, tasks? So sometimes when we plan into the future, we actually overload ourselves with too much work. That stresses us out and we end up producing even less work than we could have if we didn't create a massive to-do list. So not giving us enough breaks, us not giving ourselves enough breaks is probably and is going to certainly lead to a decrease in our overall happiness or our mood. And that includes our productivity too. So if we're less happy and well, we're less productive, that's, uh, that means that you're much more likely to be burnt out. It's clear scientific evidence that when you're more happy, you produce better work, you're more productive, and you're just a happy, healthy, happier, healthier human being. So you would actually be surprised by the number of F1 in school students who burn themselves out and get burnt out from things that they could avoid. Why? Possibly one of the reasons is because of planning too far into the future and stressing themselves out. Planning the future also takes us, takes our focus and our quote-unquote cognitive power slash willpower away. So every time we plan into the future, we're wasting time and, well, basically our willpower to um, away from things that really matter. For example, you could spend 30 minutes setting out your to-do list or spend a whole day or two days creating a massive plan, but that possibly just drains you a lot of your energy. Okay, so another thing that um, is a problem when we plan into the future, you're often overly critical and detail-oriented, meaning that we're not exactly in the present moment. We're not exactly um, highly aware of all the problems that we're facing right now, and we can't make the best decisions either. What does this mean? Well, this means that we produce poor quality work, which leads us to complete poor quality work again, and then again, and then again. And if you have a team manager who's very careful about the type of work that the team is producing, that means you will have to complete that same work again. Meaning you were trying to actually save time, but now you've actually wasted a whole lot of time and you've dipped yourself into a hole. So hopefully that was more than enough to convince you that GAN charts and planning in the future is a death sentence and it really should be avoided at all costs. Now, there obviously are some limitations to this idea. Some form of planning can be incredibly, incredibly helpful. Okay, so there is a better way we can plan. 
And the first step is actually to create a macro and micro list of everything that needs to be completed in the F1 Schools program. For example, everything, each, every single task that needs to be completed for the engineering portfolio. One way we can do this is using the work breakdown structure, which I have created a blog post about. What that basically means is at the top of the at the top of a sheet of paper, you write down the F1 Schools program, and then chronologically, left to right, you write down all the phases of your team, or your or till the competition. For example, on the very left might be actually developing a team, and then in the middle it would be all your tasks and your deliverables, and near the end in the final phases it could be transporting the materials and your team to the actual competition and making sure you're, you're doing your absolute best in the actual competition itself. And when you can actually break down the whole competition, you get a whole lot of motivation because it's not really motivation that you get, but it's clarity. And that clarity can feel like motivation. So most people often say that they're lacking motivation or they're lacking motivation to complete a specific habit or they're lacking motivation to complete their work. But most, if not all of the time, you're actually lacking clarity. And clarity can actually be achieved by creating micro steps. And these micro steps are simply small tasks that can be accomplished within around 60 minutes. Now, effectively, in my opinion, this is how big a uh, work package in the work breakdown structure, which is the kind of uh, tool that I was talking about before in my blog post, which I was referring to, should be around 60 minutes, meaning the small task should be, shouldn't take any more than 60 minutes to achieve, meaning that you know after the 60 minutes that you worked, that you were a step closer to um, finishing your work for the competition. And there's nothing wrong with um, completing your work and breaking it down even further. Meaning if you're gonna break, um, for example, creating the text for a specific F1 in schools page into five paragraphs, that's totally okay. Or perhaps if you needed to break it down, and for example, you were struggling with um, motivation that day, break it down even more, write two sentences, take a two minute break, do it again and again and again. Yeah, you will probably have to spend more time in total working on your work, but that's okay because you're getting the work done for that day and you're not burning yourself out because you're taking consistent breaks. There's absolutely nothing wrong with prioritizing your work. And you can prioritize this using hierarchy, hierarchical systems like the Kanban method, which basically organizes all these micro steps I was talking about in terms of urgency, size, importance, and relevance. Now, your Kanban method can often look extremely, extremely long. And that's okay, that is okay. Because as a team, you can divide each part of your Kanban method to a specific team member, and then they can create their own Kanban method directly derived from all those micro steps you created. 
Okay. So a key part of this was the team. Okay. So as a team, after you've assigned the different elements of your Kanban method into two different team members, what you need to focus on is teamwork. And in my opinion, this last step is actually the hardest as it's all about optimizing the time and using the team to its fullest advantage and taking breaks when necessary. When necessary. So the Pomodoro method works amazing for this. And what it allows us to do is work carefully and productively. And we can actually visually observe how close we are to completing each task. This is why the Kanban method is, in, is incredibly helpful. It allows us to visually see where we are in terms of the whole project. Other aspects of teamwork include making sure that each team member has the adequate resources and is in the adequate environment for working efficiently. For example, I know for a fact that a lot of F1 school students are introverts. I'm not sure of the exact ratio of introverts to extroverts, but I'm going to make an assumption it's somewhere around half, perhaps more. Okay, so because we know that there are a lot of introverts, most introverts prefer working alone. So would um, having team meetings be a great use of your time? No because it's highly likely that the work produced from those team meetings isn't of a high quality. Why? Because each, member, each team member isn't in the right environment to work productively. Now, this doesn't have a whole lot to do with um, time management until you really think about it. If each team member has is working optimally and is in the right state of flow and environment and is completing deep work daily, then that basically means that you're saving a lot of time. And saving a lot of time also means that you need to take things slow and steady. So what you need to understand is you need to be sure of how much time you're allocating to F1 schools on a daily and weekly basis. And this is a really important factor to take into consideration because often F1 school students believe the more time they spend in F1 in schools or the more time they spend on F1 in schools work, they're actually saving time. Now, this isn't true because that means that you're spending more time in the competition, but you're getting similar results anyway. And the reason is there's two forms of work we complete. The first form is deep work, which is work that we complete when we're in a focused state. And often, in my experience, it's very similar to the flow state, which is when you, when it's basically when time kind of flies by and you don't realize that you've been working for a period of time. Often, this actually occurs when we're pretty close to a deadline, which is strange. I'm not exactly sure why. Okay. And the other form is shallow work. For example, for me, when I'm creating these podcasts, that's deep work. That's work when I'm highly focused. But when I'm just checking my Instagram feed, that's shallow work. That doesn't require a whole lot of focus. Okay. So when you take things slow and steady, that means that 
you're not necessarily slowly progressing, but you're progressing um, part by part, meaning that you're completing perhaps 20 to 40 minutes of F1 in schools per day, but you're also consistently working and you're not prone to burning out. Now, often F1 in school students put a lot of pressure on themselves. And most of the time, the pressure isn't exactly caused by themselves. It's caused by perhaps team, um, team mentors or team managers telling students to complete a lot of work in a short period of time. Now, this isn't sustainable. And the team managers or team mentors that think they're saving time are actually wasting a lot of time. And what they also might be doing is making one student prone to burnout and perhaps burning out that one student. When one student is bent down, that brings on the whole team. And it's highly likely that if one student bends out and then the whole team is brought down, that that F1 schools team might not actually continue in the competition, simply because they have they have been in a toxic environment. Okay, so optimizing a time and working productively can be enhanced by having a strong intention. When we have a strong intention, we realize that we are more fulfilled and the work we accomplish on a week-to-week or day-to-day basis has more meaning. Now, as much as it's important to work in the F1 Schools program, it's also important to take a break. And sometimes taking a break might happen or you might need to take a break on a day where you were meant to complete a lot of work. Now, as long as this doesn't happen consistently and on a regular basis, unplanned, of course, planned breaks are obviously okay. As long as unplanned breaks don't happen um, too frequently, it's not actually a sign of weakness, but it can be a sign of courage, strength, and maturity. Because you understand that sometimes mentally you're just not there and you're not in the right mindset. And constantly working on F1 schools every single day, day in, day out, before school, during school, at snack, lunch, um, after school, and then when you go home, and then probably after dinner, and probably late into night. That's crazy. That's a crazy amount of work. And no matter how much motivation you think you have as an F1 school student, that's too much to handle. Only about the only about 20% of the time you spend working on F1 in schools is actually in the state of deep work. And the other 80% is shallow work. And it's highly likely that this is prob- this number is probably even um, lower, meaning that we're spending even less time in a highly focused state and at a maximum cognitive efforts. And this kind of, um, these kind of metrics are derived from the Pareto principle, which is the 80-20 rule. Now, I think I do have to address a problem. And this problem is often a scenario that students believe um, they're in. When they believe that using micro steps and taking things on a day-to-day basis is going to lead to cramming in the future. And at first, it kind of makes sense, right? If you, if you don't um, structure everything, you might end up cramming in the future. But then 
you really think about it, if you're working day in, day out, and you're not spending a whole lot of time on planning, and you're not wasting time, that means you're even less prone to um, cramming. And this is a tricky part to mitigate. And when we're using retrospective planning and scheduling, it can often seem that we are losing track of our time. And the amount of spent the amount of time we're spending on a particular task is not as high as it should be. This is 100% a possibility. And if we don't put systems in place to stop us from cramming in the future, we can have a lot of problems. But this problem of the possible cramming that we might have to do in the future can actually be solved. And this can be solved by actually understanding the real reason why we cram. And we cram when we actually when we actively put off a task or we actively put off a series of tasks. And then what that eventually means is that you're actively putting off the F-Learning Schools project. And there could be a reason for this. And finding that reason is important, although it's not relevant to what we're talking about, but I will go over it. For example, if you're dealing with a toxic team manager or a team member, that can definitely drain you. And that might be the reason that you're possibly not even aware of that's causing you to spend less time in the competition because you know that whenever you work, you get a bad output. And that just is common psychology. You're more likely to repeat behavior in which you get a good reward, right? Okay. And there are obviously numerous other factors that go into this too. For example, if you're really stressed out by school, then you might be putting off F1 in schools. Okay. Um, procrastination is really just when we stop working on our F1 in schools um, project. But cramming is when we actively avoid a very large task and then we have to um, condense it down in a very short period of time. See, procrastination isn't always the worst thing because it's actually proven that if you procrastinate for a very specific amount of time, you're actually more likely to produce higher quality work. So I'm just going to do a bit of a summary of what I was talking about. So things like Gantt charts and actively planning into the future or setting too many deadlines can actually be a bad thing because planning into the future means that you're always thinking about the future and you're not actually in the present moment and you're not focused on the work you're completing right now, which means that you can almost never produce high quality work and you can almost never spend enough time developing the skills you need to because they're always task-oriented rather than skill-oriented. The whole point of the F1 in Schools program is to develop more skills within you as a graphic designer or an engineer or a marketing manager or a team manager. And if you're consistently task-oriented and you're not developing the skills, I strongly urge you to rethink why you're in the competition. Are you in the competition to win 
Why are you in the competition to develop skills? Now, this question is almost never asked. Nobody really talks about the fact that the competition was actually designed not to have these winners who can stand on a stage in front of hundreds of other F1 school students. That's not the whole point of the competition. The whole point of the competition was to develop skills within the young generations of students so that they can later apply that to their school and the other parts of their life. But what happens is um, the way um, team managers and uh, team mentors or teachers at school, the way they um, create the environment in which F1 school students work, it becomes quickly about, um, what do you call it? It becomes quickly about winning, right? And that's not a bad thing. Winning is important. But we have to understand that if we really want to win, we have to develop the skills. And if we're not uh, prioritizing developing our skills, how do we expect ourselves to win? And it's really important to understand that as a team manager, yeah, you can push a team, you can push a student or a graphic designer to work on a specific um, task or an engineer to work on a specific task. But their skill set has already taken them as far as it possibly could. If you want to achieve greater results, you need to develop greater um, you need to develop greater skills within your team. Okay, so the better way is, of course, um, developing micro and macro steps, which are organized in lists and in a hierarchical manner. And they're organized by other factors such as urgency, size, importance, and relevance to the competition. Okay, so the last note I'm going to leave you guys on is that being present, it allows us to perform deep work. And it allows us to perform deep work, which is difficult to be replicated by others at a high level. Now, that's what I'm going to be leaving you on. And if you do like this, you can check out some of the books that I used to create this, to research this podcast episode. Number one is Make Time. Number two is Atomic Habits. Number three is The Happiness Advantage. And number four is Deep Work by Carl Newport. Thank you so, so much for listening. And if you found this podcast helpful, please um, recommend it to someone or share some of these tips to someone who you think might need them. If you're a team manager, I strongly urge you that you share this with your team or some of the messages or takeaways that you had. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time.